Welcome back to the FOI podcast. That is for your ignorance. For I'm your ignorance. For your ignorance. <laughs> I'm Daniel Zargron. Hi, I'm Zach Qureshi. And we are your co-hosts for this fine podcast, The Pod for Your Thoughts, where we give food for your time. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, gentlemen, non-binary, they, thems, everyone in between, welcome. Thoughts for your thoughts. Are you referencing the Parks and Rec? Uh, yes, MPR? I am. <laughs> That's so good. And I'm does, August Clementine. You know that actor is the guy that uh, voices Homer Simpson? No way. Yeah. Wait, for, which the one, the the regular host or the one for the... The regular one, not the one from Eagleton. Not the Eagleton guy. Yeah, yeah, Okay. Real niche about Parks and Rec over here at the FYI podcast. <laughs> yeah, I um, love that show. But that bit is so it's such a good, for anybody that's an NPR listener, um, it's such a great parody of NPR. Yeah, it really um, is. But yeah, thought for your thoughts. Anyway, this week we got a lot of news... Generally, we structure this with three big uh, news items, but this week we just sort of have yeah. a lot of small ones. It's a grab bag this week. Mm-hmm. We're just kind of covering this and that. First off, we want to like you know just address we did not post an episode last week because right. of Labor Day. I don't want you to think that we just kind of we're not lazy. You guys. It's about solidarity with labor unions. It's not that it was a long weekend and we were doing other things, which I find great irony in that holiday because the only people that actually get the oh, day absolutely. off are the people that aren't really unionized workers. Absolutely, yeah. It's it it's symbolism. It's neoliberal symbolism. Not to get on my Marxist soapbox or yeah. anything, but it started off as a as a holiday celebrating yeah. labor unions, stress busting, that kind of thing. Yeah, you got all these essential workers that are still and working on the day yeah, it becomes a bank holiday where now it's just people yeah. that work in office buildings get the day off and people that work at McDonald's don't and those are the people that really need the labor unions I saw a similar thing and this is super off like it's tangentially related mm-hmm. emphasis on the tangential um, <laughs> where they were talking about there's talk of Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday and there was actually some conflict about that some disagreement um coming from the black community mm-hmm. in that okay if it becomes a true day off that would be fantastic but as a bank holiday as a federal holiday that just means like i said people in businesses people in office buildings getting it off yeah. and the real people not to say that people that work in offices aren't real people that's kind of weird yeah. but my point is like the people that are working at a lower class level don't actually get that day off yeah. um and therefore it was Defeats just, the purpose. just symbolic and yeah. defeats the purpose. Defeats the purpose entirely. But anyway, that's why we weren't here last week for Labor Day. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this past Friday was the uh, you know nineteenth anniversary, anniversary of the September eleventh attacks. Yes, the tragic attacks, and both presidential candidates, uh, you know, did what we would assume is the right thing, which is to you know push aside or put a pol- put politics aside. And, mm-hmm. And you know, exercise their right and their platform to really bring awareness to right something that our current vice president movies. Mike Pence and former vice president Joe Biden both attended a memorial service at Ground Zero. Exchanged um, elbow bumps. Exchanged elbow bumps. They wore masks. Exchanged elbow bumps. They were safe about it. They're both uh, old men. Great. So I think what's in good what's, for them. What I found fascinating was how. Uh, just the complete difference in both of their uh, platforms. Platforms, not platform, but like the way they kind of went about. Oh, okay. Like, uh, for instance, Biden. Yeah, methods. Biden uh, stated that he wasn't going to run any ads for the day. Right. And uh, he had like they ended up finding out that there was a, a channel or a station in Wisconsin that ran ads for him anyway. And he tried to say, oh, "We did not know about it. We're going to get on that." Trump, on the other hand. You know, he he admitted he was like, yeah, we're gonna run ads. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a couple ads that was run on Fox News, right. and he said uh, people are voting today, and our ads are patriotic. So, <laughs> you know, I think it, that I think that's kind of a metaphor for the Democratic. That about sums Party. it up. Yeah, both of them yeah. both of them doing a thing. One of them apologetic, and the other not. That sort of makes sense not to me that, as a metaphor. Not just that, but the thing that like, you know, one does it. And claims that they aren't doing it. Mm-hmm. One um, does it sure. and just kind of like shoves it in our face about it, and right, like right. just seems very yeah unempathetic about mm-hmm. it. But yeah, yeah, for so. sure. I thought something I thought was interesting about um, non-partisanly, just in, as as a in terms of the uh, events that took that took place mm-hmm. um, in terms of the anniversary. Um, 
I saw clips of mm -hmm. two different events taking place for um, families of victims. One that was masked and socially distanced, and one that was not. It was interesting to me to find that there was a subset of uh, victims' families um, who felt that the mask requirements, social distance requirements, were too severe, were violations of freedoms, how, what have you, you know, the way most, some people are anti-mask, yeah. even within this community. So I thought it was interesting that you, you saw two separate events um, in New York for mm -hmm. uh, families of victims. That was an interesting way to, to because ordinarily it would just be one, obviously, um, just one big event and you obviously couldn't do that a lot of people with health concerns yeah. um, but I found that to be interesting because if you think about even going back to an event like George Floyd's murder um, and there were rallies for that stuff like that unilateral mask usage and then something like this that is non-partisan you see both groups coming out of it and you see the schism of people wearing a mask, people not wearing a mask in an event that happens in 2020. Hmm. So Wait, so there were there were people that did not want to wear masks? Like they, right. Yeah, there was a separate event. They did not event. want to abide by the, by the guidelines. Right. There was a separate event being held for um, victims of, or families of the victims of September 11th attacks who did not feel the need to wear a mask, who still wanted to get together at Ground Zero or near Ground Zero to pay their respects to their loved ones. Hmm. Um... I thought that that was interesting because when you think about most events you see on TV that are still going down these days, press events, what have you, people are wearing masks and socially yeah. distancing unilaterally. Yeah, like um, press conferences and whatnot. Yeah. Right, and I thought it was interesting that most of those it's because they're official government business or it's because that they are, you know, partisan in one way that is that party is pro mask because it's not that it's obviously part of any platform, but there is. A trend of party lines whether or not you're wearing a mask I feel like just in terms of political identity and so an event like this that's not either official or based on government identity or political identity showing that divide of people hmm. uh, tr on 9-11 Trump was not at ground zero he was at his own uh, ceremony or he was at another site I think there was attacked yeah I think um, he was he was in Pennsylvania Right, where the where the third plane went down. Yes. Or fourth? Yeah. And over, and because that, two, two planes went into the World Trade Centers, one, one the into Pentagon. the Pentagon, and then one that um, was successfully, uh, well, not successfully in that saved lives. Oh, it did I have not to find a right away. It did not crash into a building as <laughs> was intended. Yeah. It crashed into a field in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And he awarded uh, this Army Ranger by the name of Thomas Patrick Payne the uh, Medal of Freedom, I believe was what it was. Which, you know, you know, hoorah for him. <laughs> I'm sure he deserved it. I, it's, it's, I mean, it's ceremonial, obviously, that a sitting president on the anniversary would do something like this. But considering the actions of this administration regarding 9-11 victims and 9-11 relief uh, funds. Yeah, actually, thank if, you for saying that. If Daniel that. would lead, like to yeah, uh, I elaborate, telling, I was on. telling Zach about this before we started recording. The uh, just what he did. So apparently, the Trump administration have siphoned fu funding, or for those who don't know what that means, they pulled or redirected four million dollars from the New York's fire department budget, and that four million dollars. Or that part of the budget was supposed to be designated money, towards... Money that was raised for 9-11 um, yeah. first responders and victim medical yeah. uh, bills and things yeah. like that. So these, these first responders that you know developed these conditions from the gas and smoke whenever they were responding to the, to the chaos and to the, to, the, to the tragedy, they had these medical conditions that they needed to go to the hospital for regularly every year for the past 19 years. And uh, the administration pulled that funding, basically justifying it by saying that the, this $4 million was debt owed by the city, by New York City, to the federal government. And they did that, I believe it was either the morning before, or the, 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 the day before, the morning of 9-11 is when they actually finalized that. And uh, yeah, so when you, when you put that 
into comparison of them saying, you know, all this these fancy words and these elegant words that they were using in their speeches in the ceremony, they don't really align. And this yeah. this is a, a it's the rhetoric versus the yeah. actions and this for is sure. A very this is a continuous rhetoric that we see a continuous pattern we see with this administration. Uh, we could go we could go day and out about this, but absolutely for the sake of time in, yeah. this, in this episode. Yeah, right for now. for those of you that know um, comedian John Stewart, this foundation that they are taking money from is mm-hmm. something that he's spearheaded for a number of years. Um, yeah, but yeah, speaking of nine eleven generally though. Um, uh, something was brought up on brought to my attention that I think is interesting um, in regards to how we as Americans view 9-11 and how we view death generally. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the September 11th attacks, uh, roughly 3,000 people died. Yeah. According to um, a website called Statista, there have been 179,000 deaths in the United States since the outbreak started, mm. 179,000 divided by, it's been, what, six months? Eight months? Uh, let's just go with seven. Let's go with Seven months? Okay. So 25,000 per month, divided roughly 1,000 a day. So since the, since the um, uh, pandemic has began, we lose the equivalent to a 9-11 roughly every week. Yeah, according to the math. Yeah, and you unanimously across the board when September 11th attacks happened, there's calls for action. There's mourning. Everybody's very upset. Mm-hmm. There's a wave of anti-Muslim rhetoric, Islamophobic rhetoric, and actions following September 11th. All kinds of responses. As much as obviously that's despicable, the Islamophobia. Yeah. As much as that's despicable, it's a global it's not global it's a national response to an event something like the virus that we are currently in COVID-19 an equivalent number of people dies every week and we still see people not wearing masks going out in public you see states like uh, what was the state Georgia I think it was banning masks yeah it was Georgia not just saying we can't um, you know force people to wear masks outright banning the usage of masks so my point is when there's a grand attack I don't want to I don't necessarily want to say that the Joker in Dark Knight was right Oh God! but the quote from the movie you know what I'm talking about where he says a truck blows up um, in a foreign country and it's all fine but when somebody dies at home nobody blinks their eye or some, something to that effect mm-hmm. him saying it's all a quote unquote according to plan I can't help but be reminded of that quote when people are not that they shouldn't grieve and not that it's not a tragedy but people are very very upset still almost nearly 20 years later after September 11th attacks but an equivalent number of Americans are dying every week and there are people that are not doing anything about it that are not outraged in any way I think it's just because that happens so like just so dra- in such a drastic fashion like it happened on TV like we saw the planes crash and not just that but the 9-11 attacks had you know a certain a one target one enemy one person to blame for it whereas the pandemic you know there's not really anyone to blame but but mother nature herself and like you right. can't really you can't really go start a war with mother, mother nature right, like you do sure. in Iraq and so you know, with that, I think that's why the response, at least politically and, and you know, in terms of, you know, federally speaking, right. it's not as, uh, it's not as active as which, we want Which to is be. fair. I mean, I don't need, I don't mean to say you should be grieving the same way you would have 9-11 every week. Yeah. Uh, it's obviously, you're going to get um, a little bit, not necessarily used to the news, but more, um, it becomes more relatively normal. That makes sense to me. I just think that it's interesting. And also, I want to point out... But there should be more, more action. people... Yeah, absolutely. More people... More United States citizens have died um, overseas in Iraq, in the Iraq War, than died at home in 9-11. But my point is... My point is... Yes, 9-11 is a tragedy. Yes, we should be mourning. Yes, it's great that we have 
a brand new 9-11 museum and a new World Trade Center and all these things are fantastic, all these things are things that should happen. I think we should also have an understanding of the relative tragedy of the war in Iraq, the, uh, the wars in Afghanistan, um, as well as the way statistics works in terms of death and the way that we are it's mourning perceived. in a weird, yeah. uh, arbitrary way, this but not that. Um, so I just would like to bring attention to the way that we as Americans deal with death. Misinterpret the numbers yeah. that are you know placed before us. For sure. Well, but yeah, so that was... September 11th anniversary recently. Another big anniversary, if we want to give you whiplash real quick about tone shifts. Um, September 8th was the 54th anniversary of Star Trek airing for the first time. Nice. Uh, I don't know how much you listeners at home know much how, my, how much I love Star Trek, but I do love Star Trek. Uh, my um, father loves it a lot. A Star great Trek deal. Rules. I just, I never was able to inherit that love ah, for Star Trek, unfortunately. Yeah. But, I'm more um, of a Star Wars type of guy. Understandable. I believe a lot of young people are these days. Uh, tragically, but it's not, it's not one or the other. They're not mutually exclusive. I'm a big Star Wars yeah, fan. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, that was 54 years since the airing of the first episode of the first season of Star Trek. Not to start a fight, but Star Wars would not exist if it weren't for Star Trek. No, that's true. No, I, totally, um, I have to agree with that. And it, would, it goes both ways um, because Star Trek wouldn't... Star Trek would have been a really great three-season show that came and went. If it weren't for the popularity of Star Wars in '77, making the whole space making, exploration and, and mm-hmm. journey and fighting and all that exactly. Stuff. So if you so, popular. Star Trek the motion picture comes out in '79, two years after Star Wars comes out for the first time, and we were able to make six uh, Star Trek, six more live action or five more for a total of six original series uh, movies. Um, that's how we got Wrath of Khan. That movie rules. That's how we got Next Gen in the '90s and leading us up into today. So. As much as I love Star Trek, as much as I love Star Wars, that can't, can't really pick a favorite because they're so intertwined. Yeah, no, you can't. Um, but just the legacy of Star Trek, legacy of its diversity. I want to touch on a little bit. I've already talked kind of too much about Star Trek on this just small thing. It's fine. But I would like to point out, especially today, maybe even more so than in the 60s, the idea of unity in Star Trek. Gene Roddenberry was a genius visionary. That's the man that created Star Trek. Um, and he had an idea of peace in the future. It doesn't mean that much now, but in the 60s, having a Russian and American as friends on the bridge means a lot. Mm-hmm. Having a black woman on the bridge, the very first interracial kiss of all time in television happened on an episode of Star Trek between really? Kirk and Uhura. I actually didn't know that. Wow. Um, diversity means a lot in representation of media generally and in life, and Star Trek is great at it. Um, there's a... a George Takei, Japanese-American, on the show. Um, And that's just the original series. Um, There's even Alien on the bridge with Spock. Uh, And then you think about Next Gen, um, with Jordy being um, African-American, with Guinan, Whoopi Goldberg's character. Um, Whoopi Goldberg was in Star Trek? In Star Trek Next Gen, yeah. She's a main character in season two. I did not know that. Onward. Um, Up until today, Star Trek Discovery has um, some gay characters... It's Star Trek is Star Trek is a beacon of hope for Yeah, I, I read somewhere that they have a trans character in one of the I think it was in the in a recent I'm not up to date or, um 100% on the newer two uh TV shows Discovery or Picard, but mm-hmm. I do vaguely remember seeing a headline yeah, like that yeah, that there was a trans char- character. And Star Trek has always been progressive for the time. Not 100% progressive with current standards if you think about the original Star Trek yes there's a woman on the bridge but she is wearing a miniskirt when everyone else wears pants Mm. so it's you know you take what you can Um, but they've been on the cutting edge of inclusion since then in terms of the standards of the day Um, so yeah Star Trek rules I think more people should watch Star Trek (laughs) um yeah, that's what I got to say about that. I just think the message of Here's to the future. More. Here's to 54 more. Here, here. I'll drink to that. Um, <laughs> soda pop, I mean. I am 19 years old. Yeah, we're, we, we don't drink alcohol. We are drinking Dr. Peppers as we speak. Yeah. Um, With that said, we should uh, move on, shift our attention. Another quick whiplash of uh, 
Tone shift. Tone shift. We're all over the place. It's like a roller coaster in we here. We love that. We keep you guys engaged that way. So, um, for those Dallas natives out there listening, the Dallas Police Chief Renee Hall uh, resigned. I believe it was uh, last week she resigned. This comes after a heavy criticism on her performance as Dallas Police Chief. Rates rates of, of murder have increased under her watch and a bunch of other things. And, of course, uh, how police have been handling these protests really put her under heavy criticism. And uh, she will continue serving as police chief until the end of September, I believe. Uh, oh, yeah. There's already been some call for who should take her spot. And uh, members of the Dallas Mayor's task force for a sa- for safer communities suggested that there be a Latino police chief because mm-hmm. and their their reason for it is simply we have never had a Latino police right. chief in Dallas it would be great to have a bilingual bi- bicultural uh, member on there to represent demographically what Dallas is yeah and there there are certain districts out there in Dallas that have you know upwards of 70% of the population is Latino mm-hmm. And I think I, I, you know, I'm one. I am one that's for it. I'm here for that. Um, I think it's make an, sure I the think, person's qualified, of course. Oh, absolutely. Um, I just want to point out. I think it's an interesting uh, sort of trade-off with this resignation. In that, um, uh, Chief Hall was the first black woman to head the Dallas Police Department, hmm. and she, she's stepping down. Part of why is the. Dallas police response to the Black Lives Matter movements and protests. Yeah. And I think it's interesting her resignation it's interesting that it's a it's a move away from I, the identity side of the politics more to a policy and action side. If because, you know, from the outside it might seem like oh, a black woman is your police chief, how could she have conflict with this Black Lives Matter movement? Yeah. But I think it's an interesting um, way to look at it that she's resigning amid controversy surrounding that very movement, and it's it's does has little to do with particularly her color of skin, but the ideas the that they're her, doing, yeah. what they what they are enacting. I think that's an interesting thing that's happening, and I think it's for the better for the most part. Not that I would advocate for fewer black people in positions of power or anything like that that's a good thing that she's resigning in that way my point is I think it's interesting that we are holding accountable people for their actions despite what their identities and demographics yeah. might that's a good imply. point you bring up because uh, I don't know the, the video kind of surfaced after our last episode which would have been great to kind of talk with George about but Absolutely. the Daniel Prude uh, incident that video surfaced of I'm not sure if you guys saw the video of this this uh, person. He was having a mental episode in the middle of the street. This happened back in, like, I think it was January or February. Uh, Daniel Prude was a black man who was, you know, he was naked on the street having a mental episode, kind of freaking out. And the cops did not handle the situation very well. Obviously, they kind of, like, they handcuffed him, put him face down on the, on the cold pavement, and they put a... He kept spitting... And so the cops, what they how they reacted with that, they put a, a bag over his head to prevent him from spitting, which I think was yeah. just not a good image, regardless of what you think it was for. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it looked like they were about to execute the man, for God's really sake. You know? I mean, it's one thing. The reasoning made it seem like it was something that was reasonable, I, I suppose. But in terms of imaging, that was yeah. just... But that, that was a quick digression. What, what I was trying to get at is, you know, you were talking about how... You know, a police chief or any any incumbent really, their their image shouldn't really be connected to their policy that greatly. Right, right. And the Rochester police chief, who also stepped down following the heavy criticism on that video and his mm. police, he's also black. Right. I yeah, mean, it goes back is, to yeah, Laurent Singletary. Mm-hmm. So. I think last week we talked about uh, with with our friend George. Um, going back, we've talked about it a number of times. Uh, uh, Joe Biden's decision to pick Kamala, uh, Kamala Harris as his uh, running mate is in some ways a bad decision going back to this idea of identity policy over policy, policy. Yeah. um if you look at her her record as a prosecutor yes she is a woman of color um yes she would be the first woman of color uh vice president and that's meaningful and that's significant but if you go back to her record as a prosecutor that's not as promising in yeah. terms of the broader um 
social justice. It's, you know, and like you were saying, this decision, regardless of how it's going to be viewed at face value, what is it off the basis of, you know? It's off the basis of we need a woman, we need a black woman, you know, to get those black votes, to get these votes that we need to Mm -hmm. beat Trump. And it's just like, you know, I feel like voters nowadays, as as misinformed as we are, there are people out there that will get that will read into it more and think, is this really the right person for the job? Is this really the right right person to be the vice president right. and all that? Because we're we're over here asking to reform police, defund police, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But like this is someone that would do the quite opposite. She's very heavy police. She's very right. pro police. She mm-hmm. was a prosecutor herself. She was an attorney general, I believe. Yeah, if you look at her so. arrest records, her deportation records, just. Mm. It's antithetical to what the Black Lives Matter movement is uh, fighting for in the current moment. Uh, speaking of defund the police, there apparently uh, the city of Dallas, the council members are going to be voting September twenty third to uh, to kind of defund seven million dollars from the Dallas. Yeah, to divest. Yeah, to divest. Mm. Um, take it out of overtime pay. And uh, they would put that money towards uh, getting 50 civilians to do administrative work for the police department so that way they can get more cops to be doing the work they should be doing, which is patrolling and whatnot. Which that was a big part of, if I use the word demands, it sounds like it's like a hostage situation or something. But that was another one of the big tenets of uh, the Black Lives Matter movement is that we want, you know, in the current system, the police are doing jobs that we don't need police for yeah that may be a, a social worker a city a government worker of some kind even civilians in mm-hmm. some capacity um, should be doing those jobs um, in within the community so this is a good this is a step forward as in by forward I mean in that direction um, and I think it's a, a correct decision I think it's a smart decision I I agree that um, we don't need police officers in all of those roles um. Yeah. <sighs> so, another twi- quick tone shift. We're tone gonna- <laughs> shift. We're going back. We're going forth. Yeah, we're gonna be talking about a, a certain French film that has back definitely in, created uh, some, some. Back in movies and TV news. Yes, yes, sir. We're talking about some controversy. Major controversy, which has gotten the attention of politicians. Uh, Ted such Cruz as, tweeted yeah. about it. Ted um, Cruz did tweet about it. Yeah. This is. The film is called Cuties. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's so a film that the has film's merit? called Cuties. It had obviously it had some uh, some merits, some accolades, uh, critically, um, and then a uh, thumbnail and description surfaces on the internet of how Netflix chose to advertise this film. The film is about young women uh, dancing, and in a, I believe it's a pageant of some kind. I have not seen mm-hmm. the film. Um, and the trailer, it looks like the uh, young girls are doing twerking and other kinds of sexualized dancing. And the between the poster, thumbnail, and the description, it gave off the sort of vibe that it was over-sexualizing young girls. Um, which obviously would be a bad thing, goes without saying. Yeah, um, of course. And so the conservative base... Uh, like we said, Ted Cruz, among others, calls out Netflix, calls for an investigation into the use of child pornography and of, of abuse and things like that of the film. Um, among other people, just calling for this outrage, just this complete outrage over what's going on with this film. I saw, you know, friends of mine sending me tweets tweeting about this movie looks like it's despicable, like it's a pedophile film. And then the movie comes out, uh, film critics see it, and when you actually watch the film, it is in fact against, obviously, all of the things that it's claiming to uh, be about. It's claiming to be about. Yeah. It is, of course, a, an argument against the over-sexualizing of young girls. In the same way a film about slavery can be about slavery while depicting um, slavery, it's just... Hmm. This idea that, based on some bad advertising on Netflix's part, 
the right-wing media can say, can call out this movie as disgusting Hollywood pedophilia yeah. without even seeing the film. Yeah. I mean, like, it, the poster is, is pretty, you know, it, it's pretty uh, grotesque. I don't know. The French language poster or the um, yeah, from from the it. festivals actually looks yeah it has fine. more you know girls being girls girls being being, girls, girls exactly. having fun vibes and then this one and then you look at the American Netflix poster exactly, and you know. they're not wearing they're, they're wearing very little clothing they're These in evocative poses or something you something know? yeah That's what it looks like but needless to say like Zach said the movie itself is not about that it's more about a young girl finding a niche and like finding a group finding of friends her, yeah finding her way in her life she can express herself right. and be happy and whatnot. it's not about her you know sexualizing herself and all that you know right. it's just girls dancing girl and, mm-hmm. and it's and it's a it, form of self expression so. right and if it does talk about those things it's in a negative context there's no glorification or um Justification for any kind of sexualizing of, of young girls. Yeah. So, um, you know, I haven't seen the film, but I would say if you are concerned about it, give it a watch before you say anything. Yeah, please. Um, because there's definitely some misinterpretation on this film, given the bad marketing and all that. <sighs> Yikes. But yeah, a new uh, new segment. Oh yeah. Where we are, uh, we're being a little bit more personal with y'all. We're talking about uh, movies, TV, music, what have you. We're gonna Stuff. recommend some some things yeah. real quick, so. uh, both in terms of news and media literacy, and just what we're into, mm-hmm. just what what we think you should check out. You want to go first? What What did you come across this week that um, you thought is worthy? Well, I've been watching a whole lot of Star Trek. Okay, we're not doing that. No, well, we've talked enough about. <laughs> I'm vetoing that. No, we're, not, Trek, we're not talking about funny. Star Trek again. Um, <laughs> Star Trek Next Gen rules. <laughs> I watched the show, uh, the film Irresistible. John Stewart. We talked about him. Oh yeah, With got, Steve Carell. Yeah, and, uh, it's not good. Really? It's not. I don't like it. I mean, it's directed by John Stewart, right? Yeah, so. it's it's got some moments, I suppose. Um, I kind of like it's well-meaning, like it's supposed to be about campaign finance reform, uh, bipartisanship, things like that. It just does not hit the the, the jokes. Hit home. Does not it, the, the jokes don't aren't very funny most of the time. It was they don't a land. Cast, so that's cast was great. Cast was great. John Stewart's a legend. I was excited. It's a political commentary sort of comedy. You know, I I co-host a podcast about current events. You know, I'm into politics. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it it looked fun, um, and it looked like it would poke fun at both Democrats and Republicans. Not that it doesn't. Just it's a little bit lopsided. Um, but yeah, just the film's not very funny, and it takes place mostly in a small town, and it just seems like John Stewart has never been to a small town because people don't really act like that. I mean, he grew up in Long Island for crying out loud. Yeah. So I mean, like. Um, to some degree it's fairly accurate and it's supposed to be a fish out of water kind of deal but to some degree it's just like there's this weird glorification of being poor that comes with the glorification of a small town and it just does not work very well Um, maybe that's not the best recommendation because the spirit of the segment is to recommend things that are good but that's what I've been uh, watching recently, Dan. Yeah, Dan's uh, got some more informative things. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say informative. It is pretty interesting. So uh, there's this new Netflix documentary that came out recently called "The Social Dilemma," and basically, this documentary kind of addresses the like just the mass manipulation and misinformation that has been going on uh, the past decade with the Google search engine and Facebook and their them attaining all this data and what really they you they do for it and i think the misinterpretation of the data they have is that people think they're, they're, they're going to sell the data it's like no they're not going to sell the data they're going to keep that data and use it to kind of maneuver you and to kind of get you to to keep using the app because at the end of the day that's how they make their money you have to right. And the thing I think that the one thing that I got away from this documentary was that all of these social media platforms, all of these big tech companies, their business model is strictly off the basis of we can how can we get maximum amount of users and how can we get a maximum amount of their time. Right. You know, it's about user retention rates. Things and like it that. was you know it was one of these quotes that I read during the documentary was you know 
if a product is free for you to use then that is not the product you are the product right you know? i've heard that's great quote it's a great, great quote. quote and it's perfectly applicable to you know us using the internet and social media you know we mm -hmm. You know, on average, you know, I, I have to say myself, I probably spend like four to five hours a day on my phone, like at least. Yeah, I, I probably mean, I spend can, more. If you I, look at because iPhones send you those. Uh, yeah, yeah. Those I mean, I could probably pull it up right now if mm. I really wanted to, the diagnostic reports. But like, right. you know, at the end of the day, and like another thing that they were doing is that it's, it's affecting the the psychiatric part. Like, It's affecting the minds of young children and right. all that. And it's like. Gen Z is the first, you know, those born after 96, we are the first to really have access to these things from an early age. Right. And that affects, and it's kind of like, it's kind of created this this dual, like, dystopia slash utopia sense in our world, right. you know, where, like, we're so polarized and it's just like... We're very we're, connected, but, like, at what cost, you know, yeah, is yeah. the thing. And it's interesting, I don't want to be one of those old men on a box yelling ah social media is evil yeah but it is something that um has not existed for long enough to have any long-term studies of any merit done exactly it's i mean there you can you can study how it affects people over five years or what have you because we had obviously facebook since uh 2004 or five or whatever yeah. but the long-term effects of growing up on social media are not Explored, yeah, are not known. So that's and if you put this into in the context, if you put this into the context of other, other major inventions and 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 things like that, cars, for example, the cars mm -hmm. became a thing like what 150 years ago, and uh, yeah, roughly. Or I mean, I mean, commercialized like to the point sure. where, to to the point where like you know an average person was was having a yeah. car, driving a car. Cars have, you know, doubled in speed. And then maybe, like, because of technology itself has probably been way more, you know, just, you know, savvy and intuitive. But right. in terms of technology, just, like, uh, the speed of operation of these technology, it's, like, it's it's increased within the past 40 years a trillion times faster. Yeah. And, you know, nothing in the history of mankind has ever progressed at such a rapid rate than technology has. And Absolutely. People... You know, people are so scared of when is technology going to surpass surpass human strength, when they've been blinded by when it when, when does it surpass human weakness? And by weakness, I mean when is it able to feed like you know kind of harvest our our uh, proneness to be addicted to things? Right, you know? absolutely. And it's interesting. Social media is a drug. <laughs> yeah, you know. I was, just, I was well. It's funny you say that because I was about to compare it um, to tobacco use. If you think about yeah. going back to what I'm saying about. We haven't had time to study this in the long-term psychological effects. We didn't, as a society, f understand that cigarette smoking was as harmful as it is until like the '60s. Well, that's because like, and we've been smoking yeah. for centuries. Exactly. And we didn't get conclusive studies on whether or not it was hurting us, which it absolutely was putting tar in our lungs until the 1960s. And so now with social media, the earliest one, if you think about MySpace going back to the late 90s, mm -hmm. thinking about, you can't, there's no way to really tell the long-term psychological effects. And We're not going to get that data until, what, another 20 years, I feel like. Yeah, so what's going to happen, sooner, what's but... gonna happen to the kids in the meantime? So not to, again, I don't want to be the kind of person to be yeah. like, ah, I got off your phone. But it is affecting our society yeah, as a whole. Yeah. And it's kind of created this social dysmorphia, I think was the term that they used, was like, these Snapchat filters are so ta toxic to mental, to like, self-image, because it's like, even for me, you know, I'll go on Snapchat, I'm like, damn, I look good, but then I'll, like, go on, like, go in the mirror, I'm like, bro, this is not what yeah, I Yeah, I don't like. take selfies on my regular camera, it's, it's gotta be Snapchat. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so at the end of the day, what the documentary was saying was that it's not necessarily the functionality of these apps that are the problem, but rather their business model, because it's their business model that is motivating them to right. allow people to see all these ads. And if you think about Snapchat streaks, if mm -hmm. you think about you know likes and things like that on other um, on other social media platforms, this idea that oh, I need to post more so I can get more followers, so I can get more likes. Yeah. When a like has no intrinsic value. It's, it's part of the business model to keep you on the app. And a Snapchat streak is in some ways an ingenious business model, ingenious marketing strategy. You're keeping kids, you, it's incentivizing them to keep going 
day after day and it costs you nothing as a business literally yeah I mean it's just them taking pictures of their face not even like most I know for me going into high school in Texas like most of these people that like you know are so just dead set on continuing those streaks like it's not even for the sake of communication or oh, familiarity absolutely. at the point it's absolutely. just about the number which is so ridiculous in my opinion yeah and, and I'm, like, I'm, and I'm totally I, guilty of this you know, I'm personally. To- I was literally about to say I'm, gu- yeah. I'm guilty of I've just, had 200 and some day streaks well, yeah. where the past 150 have just been you know? forehead pics exactly. with no text yeah it'll be like with people that I haven't even spoken a word to in like months and like we That's have true. streaks that last like over a year and it's mm-hmm. just at that point there's really no there's no there's no like significance right. to it, it and it if you like and if you you know if you love snapchat if you use it to chat with your friends all the time more power to you yeah again you know live your life but if they're but Again, we don't know the long-term psychological effects, and the companies are in some ways exploitative. Yeah. Is the I didn't see the documentary, but what I gather is yeah. the is the. I think what I message. find interesting is that like certain like different generations use the apps in a different manner. Like I was talking to my sister the other week, and she was telling me that she uses Snapchat to talk strictly with her close friends, which is like total opposite from my right. generation. You know where. Or our generation, where mm-hmm. we, we like we use Snapchat to talk to anyone and everyone, you know. You know, people like to share their Snapchat before their number, usually. Yeah. But apparently, for like my, my sister's like twenty six, I believe, or she was she was born in ninety four. Um, this is terrible. I should know her age. No, that be, that would mean twenty six. Yeah, twenty. Math. Yeah. <laughs> Assuming she's had her birthday this year. <laughs> Quick maths, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and it's just interesting to see like just how how different certain generations yeah, use apps. But absolutely. we have uh, left the age of information and kind of ushered in a new age of disinformation. The I feel age like. of meta information. Meta information. <laughs> and but like the it's documentary like, is coupled with a nice little narrative story, which mm-hmm. is cool. It kind of gives you a better. It's it's good for continuity. It's good for understanding of what it actually is they're trying sure. to say. Makes it digestible. <clears throat> uh, Danny, did you ever see the movie Minority Report? No. It's a sci-fi dystopia with Tom Cruise, a Spielberg movie from early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in a future where um, there's like a police state where they can sense if crime is going to happen in the future and they can stop before it happens and it's about authoritarianism. Another aspect mm-hmm. of the film is that um, ads in the mall or wherever you go have cameras with facial recognition software they'll know who you are and they'll show an ad based on your history in the unit in the on the advertisement so it's sort of a cautionary tale of that's the direction we're going that's absolutely predictive of what's going on i'm honestly surprised that 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 hasn't happened yet Hmm. the combination of facial recognition um and user data to make personalized ads just out in the open like it's one thing for okay you can track my cookies and my IP address or whatever of my Instagram clicks to know that I like, for example, Star Trek. And you give me an ad for the new Star Trek show. Mm-hmm. That, I don't like it, but it makes sense to me that they can do that. But think about why it doesn't make sense to me that they haven't thought beyond that to creating a user profile that knows what you look like as well in order to advertise you. Because you think about it, there's nowhere where you go where there's not advertisements. Yeah. So that's sort of a cautionary tale. It's a future we could be looking at. Ads is just the most elegant and basic way of creating a business model for stuff like tech. You know, right? Well, like tech tech companies where they you know their their main products are free and just accessible through the internet. You know, ads are just like you know the easy solution to making money. You know, you get money from these people that want to have their ads on your platforms, and then you know your job as the developers are to make sure your app is so engageful that people have no choice but to keep using your app because right. they're addicted to your app and therefore when you're addicted to the app you keep you see more ads mm-hmm. and if people are seeing more ads then you get more money and yeah. you know, that's how it goes the same way that a cigarette company is incentivized to get people addicted to the cigarettes to buy more cigarettes a big tech company is incentivized to keep you on the app so you yeah. see more ads so they can make more money exactly just how these tobacco companies they used to pay millions and millions of dollars to these ad agencies to go out there and, and, and spur out all this bullshit saying, you mm-hmm. know, cigarettes are not bad for you or not just right. that, but they're actually good for you, you know? It was like in the 50s and 60s, you know? I don't know if you guys watched the, the, the show Men. Mad Men. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lucky Strike had yeah. a big contract with uh, Sterling Cooper on exactly, Mad Men. Exactly. And speaking of Mad Men, uh, Vincent uh, Carthizer, 
don't know who that is. He's okay. You know Allison Brie? Yeah. So you know the guy that that was married to her in the show? Yeah. He's in the social dilemma. Oh, he's, okay. So wait, he, it's a, I didn't realize it was a narrative. Yeah. So yeah, the, like I said, like the the documentary is coupled. So they have mm, okay. One there's, side like a, is, there's like a uh, one side of the yeah. yeah. So like okay. one side of the documentary is they get all these people from big tech companies that don't mm. work there anymore to, you know, give their perspective on the companies they worked for. Like they yeah. had a guy who was the co-founder of Gmail chat and he was the creator of the Facebook like button and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And you know, they were, they were saying that like, you know, no one at the companies thought that they were, you know, doing any harm. They didn't, right. they, they genuinely had the intention of doing stuff that would unite people and like, you know, share love and positivity and share right. And it's life. a fun idea, you, you know, know, if you're able to, <laughs> you know post something and your friends are able to say hey i like this yeah, bit of information that's, that's cool and that's yeah. a fun thing that's a great social interaction what thing they, but when it becomes this yeah. sort of addictive thing to try to get the most likes or yeah. something like that and something that they ignorantly didn't foresee is how their business model would taint that vision you know right. how it would, but i mean if you watch the social network it, it, facebook started as essentially a dating site yeah. If we think about what the Winklevi, well, that's sort of contentious about Harvard who actually, EDU. who, yeah, <laughs> Harvard.edu, with the dating site, Harvard Connection, or College Connection is what it ended up being um, being called. It started with the, with the dating site, and even before that, it started with, I guess that's less innocent, but the hot or not ripoff that Mark Zuckerberg face made, Face Smash. Yeah. So if you think about the origins of this, and then when you think about the rest of that movie when he's developing Facebook, he's like, ah, you can post things to a wall. That's a cool way to interact with your friends. You can check in here. It might be interesting to see if your friend bought a scarf. Yeah. And that's totally innocuous and totally fine. I think that's a great way to use social media. But the relationship status. Yeah. Right. There's no way to... Relationship status. Who you're seeing. Are you having sex or are you? It's the reason could, why people choose their classes. I could, <laughs> or sit in certain seats. I could quote that movie back to front. All day. Um... <laughs> My point is, starts off innocent enough. There's no way Jesse Eisenberg in 2002, Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> if he, there's no way Mark Zuckerberg, they're could the same have, person. Yeah, <laughs> no way they could have known. First saw this in 2004, or 2002, or whatever the year was. That that's what's gonna happen. That he was gonna be sitting in front of Congress and telling them that he wasn't data mining or things like that. It's just you can you can tell how shifty Mark Zuckerberg is whenever he's like. You know, uh, whenever he's, uh, I'm sorry, we'll just keep talking. You can when he's okay. Um, but yeah, interesting uh, documentary. I'll check it out for sure. Yeah. Um, speak definitely. Accused. God it. damn it! That's the word <laughs> I was looking for this entire time. It took you was like the word accused. Minute. How was that? That's accused. not okay. That's but yeah, whenever he was, a, whenever he was, a, you know, they were they were questioning about how Facebook's influence on the 2016 election and you mm-hmm. could just tell how shifty it was about it. it was like oh well there's many factors that come into play it's like <laughs> okay come on like yeah. your your platform is definitely the most influential when it comes okay. to elections and information you know could, because you could have done more to um, prevent you, right yeah and I would say they're going in the right direction you know it's well meaning I don't know that they're going in the right direction for the right reasons or enough but there's the latest Instagram feature. Instagram is owned by Facebook. Of the, um, there's like a bot or a person that will flag things as with false information in it, mm-hmm. and you get the notification that it's a notification. But there's a little banner under if you see a post that has a blatant lie in it, you will see a uh, little Disclaimer thing at the kind. bottom that says false information. Sometimes they even cover up the picture, and they say this post has false information, so you can't miss it. And you can then decide to click to view on it, view it, and then you can click on why it thinks it's false information. So I think that's a really great feature. But it's um, on Instagram only, for. right? Instagram only. So I don't think it's on Facebook or Twitter it or anything. Should, that, that's the thing. It should be on Facebook first. I right. Think. Facebook um, is the one that actually yeah. is more of a medium for, right. for information. Another similar feature on Twitter, um, they now make it uh, is a, for official accounts of senators and congressmen and congresswomen. Um, they have little icons next to their names mm. that make it clear that they're politicians. Mm. Um, so kind of like a verified check mark. A little bit, yeah, a little bit like a verified, but it's more like they're letting you know this is a politician saying this, rather like for real, rather than an informant. Yeah, yeah. rather than somebody that's not the, who they're saying they are, or Neutral. some less, or a doctor, or or any kind of scientist. 
with any kind of objective fact. They're saying, you know, you can make sure that this is a political figure, and you can do with do with that information what you will. But that's it's good that they're making it clear. Yeah, and these are both great steps forward. My point about being not the right reasons, though, is I think that that's really just because of the backlash and because of the um, uh, hearings that Facebook had to go through. I really think it's just because of marketing. I think that the public image of uh, social media generally was hurt by that those events, so they just decided that it would help their stock if they added a feature like this. I don't know if it's... Yeah, which is another thing, you know, like just the financial incentives behind these companies, these mm-hmm. shareholders, and like they have so much pressure by these people to maintain profitability and revenue and all this stuff, you know, right. of course... When it, when big companies like Apple and, and Google they have when they have stocks on the New York Stock Exchange, of course they're gonna have most of their administrative decisions be based off of the or off the basis of profitability. Right. Just, no, that's that goes, goes without saying for sure. Because like the the goal of a share is to outperform what it was the year before, and so like you know when if you want to reform these developers or reform the algorithms to work more for the for the benefit of humanity mm-hmm. that's not very profitable you know that yeah. means that means less people see less ads and mm-hmm. you know all this stuff but you know right yeah kinda, we just riffed kind of a long time about social media broadly yeah. on what was supposed I mean, to be a, a documentary topic. I'm glad we were able to have some discussion yeah. on it but media we, literacy is important yeah. um, I'm not saying you have to read every uh, user agreement obviously not a lot of people read that yeah. Um, but just be mindful of your um, your online actions is what I would say. Um, just you know, you you're always being watched. There's, yeah. You know, you, your your actions and what you click on. Every single one of your clicks are being tracked yeah. by someone, some 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 developer, some something. Mm-hmm. So just have that in mind yeah. and just know that what you are seeing on your phone most likely is. Uh, cater to you yeah. by handpicked yeah handpicked so I mean we we sort of uh, diverge for a long time off, off topic off from original segment of uh, recommending the documentary is called Social Dilemma the yeah, Social yeah. Dilemma <laughs> um, but I think it is important you know if you think about the message of our podcast for your ignorance I think this is an important topic yeah, very important topic um, I think in our age of um, I think the age of misinformation I think yeah. is what we called it um, or not that we coined the term but term from earlier yeah, um, yeah. I think it's important in this age of misinformation that we that you are you are aware of your internet habits what's really going on yeah. so. and if you guys want us to do a mini pod on, on, uh, on this topic then we will gladly do so because this is a topic yeah, that I could definitely talk about and let us know if there's longer. anything else that you feel like is going on that you need clarified anything any kind of yeah. help you need in any way we can uh, we can do the research we can help you out but yeah see you next week thanks for listening uh, I've been uh, Zachariah Qureshi and I've been Daniel Aya Daniel Aya <laughs> sorry no I'm Daniel <laughs> Daniel Zargaron and our official yeah. sign off on 3 2 1 peace, peace in the Mideast. Mideast.